Now, our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. I'd like you to join along either from the screen or uh, in your Bibles or device. Uh, Look at the scriptures for the word of God with me from Mark 12, 38 through 44. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts who devour widows' houses for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. And he sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will remain forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now in prayer. Father, once again, we ask that you would bless your word, help us to understand it, enlighten us, our understandings, and give us eyes to see spiritual truth found in this, your holy and ever true word. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We've heard the expression, money talks, right? Money talks in many ways. It certainly does in the giving of it because it reveals the state of the heart better than almost anything else. How do we know that? Well, Jesus elsewhere in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 taught us this. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, it was that Jesus, not by accident, chose the temple treasury. The part of the temple that received contributions and money for support of many things. It was not by mistake that Jesus chose the treasury as the final setting before he leaves the temple for good forever. Now, let's be reminded. Let's let's see if I can use this around here. Um, We've got a couple slides there, three, I think. Just to remind you, this is Herod's temple. And by the way, if you're listening in online, you're not seeing this, but I've got a picture of Herod's temple up here. Uh, and the Temple Mount, and all the parts around it. And then in the center here is, of course, the sanctuary. 
And next slide, please. That's where Jesus had been teaching in the various places in the temple and on the temple mount. But I believe we, we can deduce properly that here now for this conversation where he's talking to the crowds, they would have been here in the court of women or the women's court. They'd come through the beautiful gate. And in here were the collection boxes. This is where they were, and they were there for men and women to utilize. So in the front part of the court of women, outside was the court of the Gentiles. But starting in the first part of the sanctuary was the court of women, and that's where the treasury boxes were. Now, we're going to be coming to that in a little while later, but I'll show you this kind of right now. The last slide here is that of what we think the treasury boxes might have looked like. Now you see both of these, they're, they're, there's where they would get the money out. But to make sure people uh, didn't get their hands down in and collect something, you notice how that tapers down. And it looks almost like a ram's horn. That's, it's called actually a shofarath. And like a shofar is the, the horn that the ancient Israelites blew. And this one, is got a small opening, sure couldn't get it, and it tapers out as he goes in. This one flanges out from the bottom up. Now, we don't really know which one they actually look like. It could have been either one of these. But I have a favorite candidate, and I'll tell you why a little bit later. All right? So, keep that in mind as we move on in to our text. Now, not long ago, Jesus was bombarded with questions by the various temple authorities. All these various groups, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Pharisees, all of these various groups. But now, Jesus has shut them up and blanked them on the scoreboard, and now he is going on the offensive. And last week, he went on the offensive, and now he is going to really take it to the scribes in particular again. Last week we saw how the scribes' messianic doctrine and their exegetical skills, the way they handled scripture and understood it, was a big disappointment. Jesus found their teaching and the way they understood the, the purpose and the coming of the Messiah at very much wanting. Now, Jesus is going after their blend of hypocritical showboating and the exploitation of the poor. So the outline today is real simple. It's really right there in front of you, the the very uh, title. The warnings and the widow. First, going to look at the warnings that Jesus gave. Beware. The old uh, King James, the way it says is... Beware the warnings and then the widow, this woman this that came so quietly in, into the temple that almost no one would have noticed her except Jesus did. So the warnings are found basically in verses 38 through 40 that we read. Let's look at that and think about that for a few moments. As you may recall, if you were here last week, I told you that the scribes were what? They were biblical interpreters. They were the ones that would explain. They were the walking commentaries of their day. If you come into my office, or, and, uh, and you'll see a lot of commentaries that I draw and read and pull from and see if I can get insight from. Well, they were sort of like the walking commentaries. You, they just walked around. Now, if you 
But they didn't do this for free. They, they were not the wealthy ones like the Sadducees. They had to work harder. They were more journeyman-like. And the way they had to get creative how to get their money to uh, substantiate their living and their place in the community. And they thought it was a very uh, high place. They thought they were very, very noble. And uh, so Jesus now sounds a warning about how these scribes act and what they're really like on the inside. Not what they look like on the outside. That was pretty impressive, but what they were really like. Now I want you to note some things about the character of these scribes. First, Jesus basically says they're scholarly, all right. They know a lot about the law. They spend a lot of time reading the scriptures of their day. But they don't understand them. Their exegesis is off the mark most of the time. And more importantly than anything, they don't understand the heart of the law. They don't understand what the Messiah really is and who he is and what he's come to do. They miss the important things. They miss the heart of God as they try to explain the law. Secondly, and we're not only scholarly, but in not a good way, they were selfish. They were selfish. They wanted, remember what Jesus said, the best seats in the temple, and they wanted the best places in the feasts, and they wanted all eyes on them. So you would see how holy they were. A lot of people in that day, leaders, rabbis, and various religious authorities, would wear prayer shawls. That was not uncommon. But the uh, scribes wore a prayer shawl that went from the top of the head all the way to their feet to show you in their gleaming white linen how holy and righteous and good they were, how worthy they were. They were selfish They wanted all eyes on them. And then thirdly, they were shameless because of their exploitation of the poor. And in particular, as we are going to see, widows. Jesus specifically points that out. All of their making of long prayers in their long robes cover their dishonor. It covers, it's a pretense. It covers up their true dishonor. And yet they want you to think how honorable and noble they are. And Jesus calls them out. Now, what would the scribes do? How in the world, think about what we just read. In their pompous pride and self-righteousness, Jesus is going to specifically use this phrase. We heard this phrase, devour widows' houses. What in the world does that mean? How how can that happen? How how can these guys devour? Did they take a torch and like folks are are doing all around our country, go and burn things down? Is is that what they, no. They didn't didn't bulldoze the houses, but it is a strong verb that Jesus uses, devour widows' houses. You see, God always had and still does have a special concern for widows and orphans. 
And that was especially true in ancient Israel, the time of Jesus. Because they, both of those groups, were so vulnerable to easy exploitation. Being taken advantage of. And that is what the scribes specialized in. They were good. They were sharp. They were very, very capable of making good cases for their trade. Now, what was their trade? Well, among interpreting the scriptures, and that wasn't for free either. They expected you to pony up. If they helped you, uh, then they, they put their hand out like, okay, come on. Yeah, not, 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 keep, come on, come on. That, that they did with the scriptures. But they were also, they had another part of their vocation. For a fee, the scribes provided financial advice and, quote, helped widows with their wills. So they were kind of like ancient estate attorneys, old school attorneys. And they often handled these affairs in a way that benefited themselves far more than the widows they were, quote, helping. Think back, if you were married and your husband had died, which at that time in the world was not that uncommon at a fairly early age. And so you have a widow. Well, what does she do now? Because everything was controlled. All the inheritance was controlled by the men. How in the world, what would the woman do? Well, her father, hopefully, if he had a righteous father, would intervene for her, and he would set something aside to help support her. But these scribes, as willing attorneys, would promise the father and say things to this like, oh, yeah, don't worry, we're, we're going to take care of Jane. We're going to take care of Rebecca. Don't worry, we're going to make sure, we're going to make sure, we're going to make sure she gets a fair and equitable doling out of all that you've given. We're going to make sure it stays in trust and nobody's going to be able to get any of it. You can just see where this is going, don't you? They would end up taking most of their inheritance that was given or or by by the father. Their trust funds were raided that had been established by their fathers. And it was the scribes in their schemes and ways. They would often, the woman wouldn't even know what she was getting, except that they were being told by these righteous men, oh, this is the right amount. This is, this is what your father meant for you to have. All the while, they're skimming to their pockets. This is a great evil. This is not something about, something like arguing about who should income redistribute. That's not what this was about. This was pure, unadulterated theft. It's one thing to be a crook. But it's another to do it while claiming you are God's representative. And Jesus saw this. He knew this. And he called them out publicly. He put them on the spot. He named them. He said it of what they did and why it was so grievous. Jesus' conclusion about the scribes is utterly devastating. These will receive greater condemnation. 
Now, I've seen commentators go a lot of places with what does this mean? What kind of condemnation? Again, context is your what? Friend. Where is he? What's happening? What point in history is this? What's about to happen? Jesus here, Mark is taking this circumstance in the temple and here particularly talking about this instance. Soon, when you look around, just look around all around the temple area and all the temple authorities. What have we seen? Corrupt money changers, greedy priests, mocking Sadducees and embezzling scribes. No wonder God is ready to shut it all down. He's getting ready to punch the lights out of this corrupt people. They have been judged and they don't even know it. And condemnation will fall upon them. Mark is transitioning with this What Jesus is saying about that, he's transitioning to chapter 13, which we're going to look at next week. What is chapter 13? It's about the judgment that will fall on Israel. So Mark is setting up. This is not, again, he's just talking about, well, there happened to be a widow. Oh, yeah, by the way, I think I'll talk about judgment next week, Jesus says. No. It's all segueing, setting up Mark's judgment account in Mark 13. Now, the second part is the woman. There's a brighter side to this. The woman that Jesus sees in verses 41 through 44. Mark illustrates here an incredible contrast between those who serve God with hypocrisy and those who serve him with spiritual devotion. An incredible contrast. After Jesus exposed the scribes, he went and ensconced himself across the temple treasury where he could get a good bird's eye view and just watched. Now, what did he see? Well, we saw a lot of things. Here were a lot of people coming in. This is Remember, this is right before Passover, a couple of days before Passover. Huge crowds, people coming to show and give and give their money. And there were 13 different boxes. And this woman was probably something like you would call a, the general box or, the, or the, the, the box to help uh, mercy ministries or something like that. Probably that's where the woman ended up giving her coins. But this was a big thing. And people were, all these various religious authorities and leaders mixed in with the crowds, rich and poor were all there. And yet Jesus was just over there sitting on the sidelines just watching, observing. And of course, he had someone come in that was wealthy. And he saw the wealthy brought out his wealth and placed it in the box. As I showed you earlier, the offering boxes were in the woman's court. And as I said, they gave both men and women opportunity to make those contributions. But we should not assume, and here's what we should not do. We should not assume that Jesus watched the rich man or or maybe multiple ones of them, watch them give their contribution, but there is no immediate or later actual condemnation of them. 
We should not assume that Jesus was displeased with the large offerings of the rich. We shouldn't assume that. There's no indication that he was. He wasn't saying, take that money from those rich people and give it to the poor like Robin Hood. That's not what he He didn't say that. He just observed that. But there were things that grieved Jesus' heart. It was the ostentatiousness of their giving. It was the showiness of their giving. When they would come in, if this was the box here, they would come in often, reach into their purse, pulling out a lot of coins, and throw it into the horn shape box. The, the entry. Remember I showed you the two? That's why I think it was the one that's shaped like this. Because they could throw that money in there and it would hit the sides and it was probably metal like that and it would make all kind of motion. Everybody would know, wait a minute, somebody's given a lot of money to the church. Wow, we need to take notice. We need to, we need to think highly of them because of that. They were making a show of it. It's not what they gave that was the problem. It's what they gave it for and what they wanted it to accomplish. That's what bothered Jesus' heart. Then, in the midst of that, probably repeated over and over and over, something caught the Savior's eye. A poor widow quietly slipped in and probably just came up and dropped him, let them slide down, and then walked away. She wasn't wanting to be noticed. She slipped her tiny coins to the, the amount Mark says is this is just a penny. It is so little. She had so little. In her discreet action, she was devoted to the heart of her father. She wanted to honor God. She wanted to be able to give, even though it was all that she had. That would have been a full day's wage. She only had a tiny portion of that. Something like an incredibly small portion of a day's wage. And yet she didn't put in one of the coins, the two tiny mites as they're often referred to. She gave it all. Some may wonder how Jesus could say that this widow gave more than others, because that's what he said. How can that be true? Well, listen to this. Two people in the same church may give different gifts. One gives $5 and the other gives $1. Yet the person giving the $1 really gives more than the person that gives five. Five. Why? How? Percentage. How much does that person that gave the five have? Is he giving out of his largesse, out of his great wealth? Or is he giving in a, in a way that's really going to hurt him or her? You see, Jesus is focusing more on the matters of the heart here. It's not the size of the offering that matters. What matters is our heart's love for God that causes us to worship him and give to him sacrificially. Not 
that is equal to someone else. What have you heard us in capital campaigns for years say? Uh, Dave's often said it, and I've said it over and over again, and uh, Steve said it, other people have said it. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. Now, let me ask you a question. To give this sacrificially as this woman did, literally was saying, basically, she wouldn't have had anything to have gone home to buy her anything to prepare for for, uh, uh, Passover. She would not have had any way. She was literally living, going to live by faith, but she was moved in heart to give to her God everything that she had, everything she could get her hands on, and she held nothing back. Now, it's not necessarily an example to say, all right, I want you all before, lock the doors, deacons. Nobody's going out of here. We're going to shake you down today, and we're going to turn you upside down, and we're going to shake until you get everything that you've got. We want to get all your credit cards. We want No, that doesn't mean that's what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's trying. He is just talking about, look at this contrast. Look at someone giving from the heart. It's not about how much. But again, it's a willingness to make sacrifice for the one we love. Now, you say, Joe, that's impossible to, 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 to see that kind of radical uh, giving. Really? Is it possible for the church, you and me, to love and to give like this widow in some small way? Some sense, maybe not as great as she did, but is it possible? Has it ever been done before? That's another good question, isn't it? Well, the apostolic church says yes. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. Paul, writing to the church, to a very poor church, it didn't have a lot. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. These are these Greek Gentile churches, and they're giving to the churches in Jerusalem that are in a, having a hard time. They are always having a hard time, and yet they gave out of their poverty. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Please, please, let let us take our money. Please take it. We want to be a part of this. We want to invest in this. That's what they were saying. And this not as we expected. In other words, we we didn't expect this from them. This was not something they were required to do. They weren't being shaken down. They weren't being manipulated like you see so many of the flock of God being fleeced by charlatans, preachers that try to basically fleece the sheep of God and aggrandize themselves. This wasn't what was going on. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. There's the key. Lord, everything I have, I don't own anything. It's all yours. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God as they add opportunity to us. That's, that's it. You see, God does not want our money. He wants us. 
He wants you and me. But he knows that we have a problem because we can't give ourselves to him apart from giving some of our money. Why? Remember, money talks, right? And it tells us something where our hearts really are. What we really value. We can go and say all day, in God we trust. We can get our coins out and see, see that? In God we trust. But that doesn't mean that's what you really trust in. Maybe it's in money and your 401k and, and how well your stocks are doing. And that's what you really trust in. Oh, you, you, you give lip service. You and I may give lip. But is that really what we're trusting in? In God or in money? In which do we really trust? Listen to this uh, humorous quote from Kent Hughes. This has probably been around. I doubt, doubt Kent Hughes. But, um, it's, it's, it's original with him. Might be, but uh, we'll give him credit for it, okay? Um, he says, there is a disease that is particularly virulent in the modern age. It's called, wait for it, cirrhosis of the giver. Groan, groan, I know. It was actually discovered about 34 AD, and it ran its terminal course in a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Read about them in Acts chapter 5. It's an acute condition that renders the patient's hand immobile when it attempts to move for, from the billfold to the offering plate. The remedy is to remove the afflicted from the house of God. Since it is clinically observable that this condition disappears in alternate environments, such as golf courses and clubs and restaurants. Pretty poignant. What does our giving say about us and where our hearts are? You think about that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the faithful giving, Lord, that we have seen on display and many times not on display at all. Not, not that it's observable. Uh, but, Father, sacrificial giving has been done in this place, Lord, to advance your kingdom. And, Lord, I thank you for that faithfulness. And I pray that, that there would be great joy that our people get from giving. But, Father, some of us may still need, need to learn more about what it means to, to sacrifice for you in the kingdom and to invest in that which cannot be shaken. And Father, if so, teach us, show us in mercy not what we deserve, but give us grace and help us more and more reflect your good and graciousness to us. And we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.